You know, sin has to be accounted for, and the only way to properly do that is through the blood of an animal or the final blood of Jesus Christ. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rodney. I'm Janice. And I say that because that's what we're going to study today as we look at the book of Hebrews on this Monday. This is great, Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to read one of my favorite verses today, so that's going to be great. Anyway, Corey's here with Ryan. Corey, what's going on? Well, the book of Hebrews makes great use of the Old Testament, so you and I are going to be focusing in on the tent tabernacle today. Ryan? Did animal sacrifices remove sin, as Leviticus seems to teach, or did animal sacrifices not take away sin, as Hebrew 10 teaches? This is the question I'm going to be attempting to answer on today's program. Excellent, excellent. Janice, what'd you do? Today, our testimony. All right, very good. Take your Bible guide out and let's look at what God is saying to us as we open up the book of Hebrews written to the Hebrews. Hebrews 9, verses 16 through 28. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 16 through 28. Hebrews 9 and 10, that's what we read as we go through the Bible. And we're getting closer to the end of the book and listening to what God is saying to us. Now remember, the last two chapters of Revelation, Satan is no more. Very interesting. But today, 
we learn some things. You see, it's easy to become fascinated with the tabernacle and all the things that the Israelites made for it around 1500 BC. At that time, they were thought of as holy. After all, God consecrated them and his presence came through the nation through the tabernacle. But where are we in God's plan right now? Well, it's different. Jesus Christ has come to earth and overruled the things of the past by fulfilling them and showing us the ultimate way to come to God. Each of us must not only believe in Christ, but choose to follow Jesus Christ, Messiah, Yeshua, HaMashiach. This is the new way we can experience God's holiness. It's been going on for 2,000 years. And the book of Hebrews tells us that the things God had Moses and Aaron create, these things were temporary. They were signs of what was to come. Today, we should not venerate the objects, but see them as part of God's history and the images of the deeper truths, which God has revealed to us today. His Holy Spirit is absolutely amazing. Now, as you think that through, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage, 9, 16 to 28, Copies of Heaven. That's what I've named this one. And if you don't have a Bible guide, we'll send you one. Call us or write us. And we'll send you one. I, I always appeal to you. Call us or write us. Very important. And you can also go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, click on the Bible Guide page, and it'll take you to a page where you can download the Bible Guide and uh, immediately get online with us quickly and begin to study because God is coming back quickly. Father, today as we enter the book of Hebrews, help us to see, as you wrote this book, to the people who are Hebrew. Help us to understand what it means to Gentiles, to every Christian, to every person who follows and does what Jesus Christ has told us to do. Help us, Lord, to really take heart of it in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, it gets very interesting. Here it is. And beginning with verse 16, it says, For where there is a testament, there must also be the necessity of the death of the testator. Now, this is important. He's simply writing this to the Hebrews. Verse 17, For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all, while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Now, what he's talking about here is more or less a will. For a testament to be successful, the person has to assign it. And a person did. The blood of Jesus Christ had to be spilled for the New Testament to be real. Blood is the final test for all things related to sin. There is no remission of sin without the blood of Christ. Now, that's why the uh, Priests and all the people sacrificed animals because of blood. But we should remember that the blood of Jesus Christ stops everything right there because his blood is unique. From the divine God and the divine man, his blood is unique. He's holy. And so we trust in the blood of Christ to save us from our sin. That becomes very important. With that in mind, 
Let's go on to verse 19 and look at this. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all of the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Verse 21. Then likewise he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Very important. Now watch this. Blood is necessary for the remission of sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is necessary for the remission of sin. Our worship to the Lord is communion. One of the ordinances of the church is sharing the Lord's table. And I remember that in the scriptures, specifically, I think the gospel of John or the gospel of Matthew, remember Caiaphas was yelling at Pilate, you know, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate washes his hands, said, the Caiaphas says to everybody, a high priest, his blood be on us. Interesting. So we are in a time when the blood of Jesus Christ is on us and on the Jews. And let me tell you something. If you call on Jesus Christ, he's ready right there. And uh, we need to make sure that we understand that. Okay, that, that has implications for what is to come. But nevertheless, keep that. That's the time we're in right now. That's how I see the Bible. I read it literally, and that's what it is. Verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Did you see that? The heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. That's what Revelation is all about. Verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands. But are copies of the true, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, but he then would have had to suffer often since the foundations of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself once. Verse 27, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Do you understand what he's saying in Hebrews? Christ Jesus offered himself once, beloved, once for the remission of sin. God has made all things new for those who take him as Lord. Hallelujah. If you take Jesus Christ as Lord, let's do that right now. All of us will say it. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe you died on the cross and rose again because death could not stop you. 
And I believe you paid the cost of sin. Now, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my sin and be the Lord of my life. In the name of Jesus Christ, and all of us said together, Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today we read Hebrews chapters 9 and 10. And with that, we're going to be taking a look at a supposed inconsistency between certain passages in Leviticus and Hebrews 10. And here's the issue. Leviticus seems to teach that animal sacrifices did take away sins, while Hebrews 10 teaches that animal sacrifices did not take away sin. Well, let's investigate. Critics of the Bible maintain that the scriptures contain scores of contradictions and errors and therefore cannot be God's word as it claims. However, it is highly significant that no such mistake or contradiction has ever been proven, though many attempts have been and are still being made. For example, skeptics ask if animal sacrifices removed sin as Leviticus seems to teach in certain passages, or if they did not take away sin as Hebrews 10 reveals. In Leviticus 4.20, Moses records, and he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. However, in Hebrews 10.4, the author states, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. On the surface, this may seem like a contradiction. However, as commentator Ron Duddick points out, nowhere in the Old Testament is it ever claimed that sins were taken away by animal sacrifices. Furthermore, the root of the Hebrew word translated atonement in the Old Testament is kafar, which has the idea of covering, not total removal. So while animal sacrifice covered sins, it did not remove them. This bloody act, first implemented by God himself in Genesis 3.21, when mankind first fell, vividly illustrated the seriousness of sin. Also, the fact that animal sacrifice could only cover sin and not take it away points to the necessity of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ the only one who could take sin away. Hebrews 10, 10 to 11 says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That phrase, take away, comes from the Greek root, periario, and does convey the idea of removal. Therefore, Hebrews 10 is contrasting between animal sacrifice and Christ's sacrifice. So we see that Leviticus teaches that animal sacrifice made atonement or a covering for sins, but did not actually take away the sin. Essentially, it was like a bandage which covers over, but it doesn't take it away. This, of course, points to the absolute need for Jesus Christ and his gracious sacrifice on the cross. And Hebrews 10 actually supports what Leviticus teaches and uses that to draw contrast between animal sacrifices and Christ's sacrifice. 
So as we can see, these passages aren't, they're not in conflict, but are actually complementary. I think it's important to remember as well that the book is called Hebrews because it's written to the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And to the Jews, yeah. we don't know the writer of the book. I suspect, my personal opinion, it's only my personal opinion, not biblical or anything else, but I suspect it's Paul. But nevertheless, it's written to the Hebrews. So it's written to the Jewish yeah. group of people, which is why Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is sharp and powerful, or, or like any double sword, able mm -hmm. to divide the soul and the spirit or the body with like, for example, things in the sacrifice that the priest marrow. would, yeah, yeah. Bone marrow, that the priest would be able to cut right. and move and all of that. Yeah. So it, it gets really interesting. Yeah, it really is a very Jewish book. You know, yeah. you can see it through and through. It is, it is to the Hebrews. I, I really love the book of Hebrews. And as we learn it, we're gonna learn more because it's really something. Corey? All right. So on the same theme, uh, I said earlier that the book of Hebrews really makes use of Old Testament imagery uh, and history and symbols. So today, you and I are going to be taking a look at the tent tabernacle or the tent of meeting uh, because it is also spoken of here in Hebrews. Take a look. In the book of Exodus, we're introduced to a physical element of God's covenant with ancient Israel. They were to build a tabernacle that would hold the law and act as a dwelling place for the presence of God, a place where God and Israel could meet on a regular basis. A meeting place or place of God's presence was necessary for the covenant for a few reasons. God's promise to be with Israel as his people now had a very real physical symbol, and the tablets of the covenant agreed upon by God and Israel were kept in the tabernacle as a witness, naturally judging the parties involved. Were they keeping it or not? The tabernacle structure needed to be portable in order to accommodate the nomadic lifestyle of the people in the wilderness, and a tent fit the bill. This holy structure is given two main names throughout the scriptures, the tabernacle and the tent of meeting, sometimes even the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. These dual names have puzzled scholars, but a good guess about why two names are used suggests that tabernacle is used to denote the physical structure, while tent of meeting is used when the text deals more with the building's significance. Regardless of its names, there is a bigger question related to the tent of meeting. What happened to it? It's recorded in 1 Samuel chapters 1-7 through 7 that during the time period of the judges, the tent was pitched at the city of Shiloh. But during a battle with the Philistines, the Israelites removed the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle and briefly lost it in battle. When the Ark was returned to Israel, it was kept for 20 years in the city of Kiriath-Jerim. The archaeological record and the book of Jeremiah suggest that the Philistines destroyed Shiloh. But what happened to the tent? It appears again during the reign of Solomon. We're told that the tent of meeting was being kept at Gibeon. And at the dedication of Solomon's Jerusalem temple, we learn that along with the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle was also brought. Where it went is speculation, but it can be safely assumed that it was kept within the temple. So there are several areas in scripture where it's kind of just mentioned off the cuff. It's kind of just 
tucked in there incidentally that the tent tabernacle or the tent of meeting did survive through the time period of the judges and it well into the time period of the kings. So this concept that its final resting place was inside the Temple of Solomon uh, seems to be pretty well biblically backed. Where it went from there, no one's really sure. I mean, the temple was raided so many times throughout uh, the time period of the kings. It was destroyed, uh, you know, by the Babylonians and then again by the Romans. So was it taken or destroyed in any one of those raids? It's impossible to say for sure, probably, uh, but we're not sure exactly which one it, it would have been taken or destroyed within. But it's interesting anyways to track the history of it and this progression. Um, you know, there's, there's so many theological ideas that are tied up within this concept of, you know, the tent tabernacle carrying the presence of God uh, from Mount Sinai with the Israelites until it came to rest in the Temple of Solomon. So interesting stuff to I think, think about. It, yeah, and we need to remember that there are people who are very materialistic mm -hmm. in their thinking, and uh, they focus on this stuff, and they think, man, if we find the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God will be here. But hold on a minute. Hold on a minute, because yeah. the Holy Spirit has come in us. And Paul says several times, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God's Spirit is present in us. Yeah. If we allow it to come out, and if we allow it, we, you know, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, kindness, and faith. That's what we need to remember. Yeah, definitely. And that, and you know, that's one of the underlying themes that the book of Hebrews draws out is that there has been a progression, not to take away from Old Testament history or Jewish history. It is still history and it is history of God, uh, you know, and his relationship with mankind. But there has been this progression of history coming up towards the time period of Christ and, and the church uh, that, that really explains some pretty deep spiritual truths. So that's definitely one of the, the themes of the book of Hebrews. So Janice, what did you do today? Well, in Hebrews, this book is just so rich. The depth here of knowledge is, is, is so full that it's difficult to know how to just uh, pack something into a segment briefly. We, we see here the writer of Hebrews talks about the mediator's death being necessary. And then we understand the greatness of Christ's sacrifice. You know, Christ's death and resurrection gave us the freedom from sin and gave us eternal life. And, and when you read here, the, the, the writer is talking about a testament and talking about the testator. And, and a testament is a tangible proof or a tribute. It's an expression of conviction. And the testator, of course, is the person who has made a will or given a legacy. And this legacy is an amount of money or it's property left to someone in a will. Now the testator has to die in order for the testament to become valid for it to move forward. And you might think, well, Janice, what are you talking about? When I titled it Our Testimony, you know, really, when we come to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us, and as we read through the book of Hebrews, we see that over and over again, what Christ has done for us, what we have been delivered from. When we come to that realization and we say that we want to be born again, or we want to be saved, we want to accept this gift, this sacrifice that Christ has made for us. We literally die to ourself. We, we say, you know what, Lord Jesus? I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to give you the rights 
to my decisions because you have given your life for me that I can now be reconciled to God the Father. And in that, we have a testimony. We come, and, and some of the verses that, that came into my mind uh, was especially Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him. That's the enemy. That's Satan. By the blood of the lamb, that's Jesus who gave himself on the cross, who shed his blood for us, that bought our redemption. Because without the remission of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Christ did it once and for all. So they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's you and I, friends, brothers and sisters who have given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need our very lives, our moral conduct, everything that we do, everything that we say needs to be a representative, a testimony of how God has come and forgiven us, how Jesus has come, how his Holy Spirit fills us up and changes the way we think. He helps us to change the words that we use, the way we respond. It's not from this world. It's, it's supernatural from the Holy Spirit of God that as we allow him to work in our lives, he will help us to change and help us to grow. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, Paul talks to us about being ambassadors. We are representatives of God's kingdom to the lost citizens of this world. That's our neighbors. That's our family. That can be the people that we live beside, the people that we go to work with, the people that we sit beside on the bus or the airplane that we're traveling. We need to remember that we are representatives of God. How are we doing on that? First Peter 2.11, Peter talks about us being sojourners. As children of God, we don't belong to this world. This world is not our home. We're only passing through. And we need to remember that. We need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives. That is our testimony. Our testimony is powerful. It's something that can never be taken away from us. Why? Because it's personal. It's how Jesus Christ has entered our lives, how he has forgiven us of our sins, and how that because we love him so very much, and we're so thankful for what he has done for us and given to us even eternal life, that our lives, our decisions, everything that we do, everything that we say, needs to be in honor of him, done in his name, Jesus. Remember that three times a week we offer prayer meeting live. That's live from 3.30 to 4.30. That's Eastern Standard Time in the United States of America or New York time. And uh, we would love you to join us. If you can, figure out what the time is in your area. But today, 
We're going to pray, Lord, I must remember your name as revealed to me. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, I am yours. Amen.